Hello everyone and welcome to episode 581 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have, oh my God, I've had so many functions on. It's just that time of year, isn't it? So I seem to be hopping in the car every second day, going to end of year events, mainly for work. But it's been great because I'm finally, you know, I'm catching up with people and I'm finally noticing that there is life back in the city. It's like the old days. Um, You know, in some cases, people are just out and about and just like the way it used to be. And yet there are other cases where people have really embraced the work from home ethos to such an extent that they barely leave the house. I know quite a few of those people. So I think the gap is kind of getting wider and wider. You know, the gap between the hermits and those who love being out and about. But hey, that's okay. Anyhow, apart from that, I've also been reading Pamela Freeman's fabulous new novella, The Fatal Crossing, which is part of her Poppy McGowan series. I love this series because it's, you know, a modern day Sydney woman and she's a journalist, but she gets involved in these whodunits. And you can read these these stories as standalones if you've come late to the Poppy series. Uh, in this one, Poppy is working in a TV newsroom, replacing someone called Jane, a researcher who died in a car accident. Aha, uh-huh. but was it really an accident? So, you know, it's some fabulous summer reading and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And now let's say hello to Nat Newman, who is here with our writing tip this week. Hello, Valerie. How are you? I'm good. Are you gearing up for Christmas? Can you believe that Christmas, the end of the year, is the start of the new year is so soon? I I refuse to believe it. It's not happening. (laughs) It can't be be true. Honestly, didn't we just have New Year like two months ago? That's what it feels like, really. It's so weird. So where will you be spending Christmas? Oh, at home with my family, which is going to be really, really lovely. So um, my mum and my dad and then my brother and all his um, crew will come over as well. So, it's yeah, it's going to be really nice. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, it's always a, I don't know, it's a kind of a weird time of year because it's so intense in the lead up to Christmas. Everyone wants to finish everything for the year so that they've put it to bed and then they can have a break or, or, or start afresh, whatever it is, whatever your priority is. So I'm always exhausted by the time Christmas rolls around because it's been so intense. Yeah, Yeah, I I think that's true. But I I think also around about December is when I kind of start taking the brakes off a bit as well and just say, taking the brakes off. Oh, I'm so rubbish at those sorts of sayings um, <laughs> where I sort of just let myself sort of chill out a bit and go, you know what? I didn't finish that project. That's okay. You know, I'll start again in January. So, you know, mm. as my, as my running coach says, there's no finish line. There's only the starting line, Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very profound. What's your <laughs> writing tip this week? Uh, so for my writing tip, I wanted to um, share how I organize my stories. I have loads and loads of stories Stories as in novels or short stories or what, what uh, are you referring to? Yeah, kind to? of everything. I guess because I've got a lot of projects. So for me, um, I really have to um, kind of keep track of a lot of different things. So, you know, now I'm writing plays and film scripts, short stories, novels, um, memoirs, all sorts of things. Um, and they're all in various states, shall we say, <laughs> states of undress and states of dress, some of them. Uh, so the way I organise them, first of all, I write a lot by hand, Valerie, which I know you think is crazy. Um, 
And so I keep all of my hands. I think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> I used older. to write by hand when oh, I was, okay. you know, <laughs> when there were no computers. <laughs> but, um, I keep all my handwritten notes. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, we all love journals and notebooks and stuff, but I deliberately write on paper that I can then tear the paper out and staple things together and then put it in a folder because it's no use to me if I've got, you know, two pages of a story in one notebook and two pages of the same story in another notebook. Why don't you just write it in the same notebook? Because, you know, sometimes you go out with one notebook or you go out with a different notebook or whatever. And so, you know, if, if the, if the muse hits you and you, and you come up with some ideas. So I always like to have notebooks that I can actually tear pages out of, um, which is anathema to some people who have really beautiful notebooks, but um, that's the way I do them. (laughs) And then that way I can staple them together and chuck them in a folder called handwritten stories. And then when it's time, to actually type it up, then I'll type it up. And this is kind of the next stage is I normally type my first draft in Google Docs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it easier because then I can access it on my phone. I can access it on my tablet, my computer. It doesn't matter where I am. Um, you know, I could even be at an airport and log into a, you know, terminal and access my story that way. I just find it a lot easier to to do that. And also because with Drive, it's really good to be able to search. Google um, Drive. Google Docs, Yeah. Um, so, cause sometimes, you know, a story might have six different names, you know, while you're writing it or characters. Or yes. whatever. So it's really great for you to be able to search, um, for things in your Google drive. And then when I am ready to submit it somewhere or publish it, then it has to go into word at that point, because obviously that's the industry standard. Um, so that's kind of my, um, process, but in terms of keeping track of everything, as mm. you know, I'm a big fan of notion so yes, every that's an app. Story, so just you, you yeah. need to describe describe what Notion is. Oh, sure. So Notion is it's a little bit like um, uh, Google Docs plus Google Sheets plus Asana plus Trello plus everything, um, all in one, I suppose. So people I use... might not know what Asana and Trello are. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. It's okay. So you can write notes in it. You can organize um, tasks in it. You can. Um, link to various things you can pretty well it's just sort of a great you can online space pictures and videos yep just a great online space where you can put all of your ideas and I actually use it to so any single any story that I start and you know many of our listeners are probably the same you might have 10 stories on the go any story that I start I put in notion as its own little task and that way I keep track of it but when so, does it become a story, right? Because you might have an idea that you start writing or, or, or and it might or, or a snippet that you've heard. When does it technically become a story and therefore worthy of going into Notion to be tracked? It goes into Notion the minute it's um, more than a couple of sentences, actually. Even just an idea will go in there because you know what it's like. Well, maybe, I, I don't know, you probably don't. Um, religiously follow short story competitions the way I do, but, you know, something will come up and I'll think, hmm, don't really have a story ready for that. I wonder if I've got any ideas and then I'll pull out an idea. And because it's not just in some notebook, you know, buried in the, in a cupboard somewhere, it's actually all in my notion. Then I look at it and I go, Oh, that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll pull it out and I'll start writing. Or perhaps if, even if it's just my allotted writing time and, you know, I'll sit down and go, I don't really have anything to work on. And I'll just pull out an old idea in notion and, you know, get all the little various bits and pieces that I've got on it and then start to um, start writing it again. And then that way uh, I can link to where it is in Google Docs. I can link to where it is um, on my OneDrive when it moves to Word. I can um, 
I can I also keep track of major story changes. Like if I change a character's name, I'll put that in the Notion task. Or um, if I submit it somewhere or if I sent it to someone to beta read. So I keep track of all of that information in my Notion spreadsheet. So, um, so yeah, so even if you don't want to use something as advanced as Notion, you can definitely just use a spreadsheet, Excel, whatever, and just really, really keep track of all of your ideas because otherwise it's so easy to lose them. And even though there is a paid version of Notion, the free version is pretty robust, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, I use amazing. the free version. Yeah. I only use the I use the paid version because I use lots and lots of um, add-ons and stuff, uh, but the free mm. version, yeah, it's great. Okay. I think that this is a great idea because a lot of us do start these snippets here and there and yeah. we do forget that they exist and keeping track of them is a um, is such a good idea because and honestly, I really should do that because I have a confession to make and it's a little bit disturbing <laughs> because I think about two weeks ago, I thought, okay, I need to, I've had this idea in my head, uh, writing, it, it wasn't writing a romance, it was writing about romance because mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested in genres and I'm interested in um, the different uh, categories of writing and different writing styles and, and all of that, right? So I wasn't writing a romance story. I was writing about the genre of romance. And I've had this idea in my head for quite some time. And I thought, okay, well, I was uh, overseas actually and you have, you're have on the beach or whatever and you have some time. Mm-hmm. So I started my document and I started planning it all and I started writing it and, you know, I I was getting quite into it. And I reckon I wrote, I mean, not heaps, but I reckon I wrote 2,000-ish, let's say, words. Right, solid. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was mainly notes. It wasn't like a final, you know, um, final copy kind of thing. And then I went, I don't know, had a donut or I don't know what I did, had a break <laughs> and did something else, came back and I started kind of searching for it because it was in Google Docs. Okay, this is the scary part. This hmm. is the scary part. I found I had already started this project and I was already 20,000 words in. Oh, wow. Oh my God, do I need to keep track of what yes. I start writing? This because that's literally reinventing the wheel. It's ridiculous. Yes. That was quite scary for a whole range of reasons. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's so interesting because um the reason I started putting things into Notion was because I was flicking through old journals and I was finding little bits of stories or in fact scenes that I'd written for various stories that I know I'm still writing or that are still kind of stewing around. And I would find, like you said, I would find like the same scene in two different journals two years apart. And I was like, hang on a minute, there has to, this is stupid. There has to, I have to actually start putting all of these ideas into one place. So that's why I'm religiously now moving things into notions that I can actually go, oh, and then, and then you'll discover that most of it's so much has already been done over the past years without you even knowing. Yes. Okay. All right. I think that's a great tip. Fantastic. I mean, when I did those 20,000 words, it must've been more than a year ago. So I did this because this idea has been in my head for a while, but it was, yeah, very scary on a whole range of levels. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. I really like it. I think that's a fantastic tip. Awesome. Thanks, Nat. Thank you. 
Now let's move on to our competition this week. This week, I'm giving away three copies of The Broken Wave by Matthew Ryan Davies. Matthew is also the author of Things We Bury, which has been optioned for television and the young adult novel, This Thing of Darkness. The Broken Wave is a gripping mystery that explores the enduring impact of childhood trauma, unexpected connections, and the enduring strength of friendship. You can also meet Matthew on episode 488 of our podcast. Here's the blurb. We never talked about what happened in 1992. Did it quietly haunt him the way it did me? In the small seaside town of Queenscliff, two boys from opposite sides of the world forge a friendship over a summer of sun, adventure and brotherhood until a catastrophic event shatters their idyllic childhoods. Two lives are lost. A lie is told. Years later, when Tom dies in suspicious circumstances, Drew flies from the US back to Australia for his friend's funeral. Still haunted by that night in 1992, he's about to find out if Tom ever told anyone the truth, if the two events are connected and if their friendship was worth the price they paid. All right, you can get your chance to win by going to writercentre.com.au slash win. And this is open for a couple of weeks because of the Christmas break. Entries close on the 2nd of January. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And this is another one. I've been talking about so many um, stories these days having dual timelines or, you know, multiple timelines. But, yeah, dual timelines is quite the thing, often set in the 90s and um, and, and in present day. So uh, I think that's having a moment. And if you're interested or if you are writing a dual timeline story, then do make sure as well that you check out our Focus on um, session, which is a fantastic information pack session called Focus on Dual Timelines. You can find that at writercentre.com.au slash focus on dual timelines. Anyway, and now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because here it is. The word of the week is tenebrous. Tenebrous, that's T-E-N-E-B-R-O-U-S. Tenebrous. So it's an adjective that means dark, gloomy, or obscure. So you could say, we walked into a room blazing with candlelight and warmth, a welcome respite from the tenebrous streets we had taken to get here. (laughs) Okay, we'll see if you can use that in a sentence this week. Now let's move on to our writer in residence. Ali Parker is a Japanese-Australian author and screenwriter with a background in script editing and script coordinating. Her historical fiction novel, At the Foot of the Cherry Tree, is a novelisation of the true story of Australia's first Japanese war bride, who is also Ali's grandmother. Ali's also co-written episodes of Jack Irish, Secret Bridesmaids, Business, Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries and more. Her credits as script editor and coordinator also include Irreverent, Shantaram, Ride Like a Girl, Please Like Me and Utopia. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ali. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for you and your fantastic book, At the Foot of the Cherry Tree. What a powerful story and what an interesting background. Now, for those people who haven't got a copy yet, and hey, go buy it for Christmas for somebody as well as yourself, right? Um, What is it about? At the Foot of the Cherry Tree is a novelization of the true story of Australia's first Japanese war bride. 
who is a woman named Cherry Parker and is also my grandmother. So my grandparents met in post-war occupied Japan when my grandfather Gordon was 18 and my grandmother Cherry was 16. Uh, and they met on his first day in Japan. And despite really strict anti-fraternization rules between the Australians and the Japanese, the two of them became friends and fell in love. And as Gordon's service in Japan came to an end, he decided he wanted to bring Cherry back to Australia with him as his war bride. And then he discovered that the white Australia policy wouldn't let her into the country because she was from a non-white, non-European background. So Gordon came back to Australia and spent the next four and a half years campaigning the government to change the policy to let Cherry and their first two children who were born in Japan home into the country. It's actually incomprehensible to think about that now, isn't it? When you found out, I assume you were quite young when they told you this story, what did you think? (laughs) I know it's interesting, like, because I was always brought up knowing about it. It was never a a family secret or anything like that. Our family are are incredibly proud of what my grandfather did. And and so, yeah, it was never something that I didn't know. Um, So I don't know. I, I don't remember really having... A strong reaction to it I was just like oh that's that's kind of cool that grandma was the first person to do anything and you know and then it wasn't as until I got a bit older that I really understood what it actually meant and the ramifications of that and the things that they changed by just fighting for what they believed in was incredible and so then yeah I think as I matured I really began to understand how much of a big deal it actually was. What did you have to do to find out Um, everything that happened so that you were able to put it in the book? Did you, you know, have to, what kind of research did you have to do? Who did you have to talk to to get get it right? Yeah, I mean, it was, because it was known, there were lots of, I call it family myth. And I think every family has this, like the stories that you know of how, you know, the way that your aunt and uncle met or the way that your at that wedding something ridiculous that your grandfather did or whatever so there's all these family stories that make up your family identity if you like and so I had a lot of those and there were a lot of things that I knew about the story just from growing up and just hearing various stories although they didn't really talk about it in detail but there were certainly like anecdotal stories that we all knew and so I had a whole collection of those and my grandfather passed away before I started doing research properly for the story but I had a lot of family. I had I have lots of aunts and uncles and cousins who have all had conversations about different things as well. So I basically I started with family, um, and because my grandparents were quite well known, there was a big media campaign in the fifties, and so over the course of from yeah the early nineteen fifties until kind of the mid nineties, they did quite regular interviews talking about the story again. So I managed to get. Um, access to archives, radio archives, newspaper archives, television archives, where they told their story at differing times in their histories. And so I had access to those as well. And then, you know, apart from the the story of Gordon and Cherry, I wanted the story of the wider world, of the the occupation of Japan and what post-war Melbourne and Australia was like. And so then did a lot of research into particularly Bake Off soldiers, uh, British Commonwealth occupation force soldiers, because a lot of them are writers and so they wrote books whether it was memoir or fiction a lot of them wrote both and so I was reading memoir but I was also reading novels and and being able to construct the world out of their memories and their words to create the world for Gordon and Cherry too. Now you refer to it as a novelization of um of that story 
why did you choose to do it that way? And did you at any point think, oh, I could write it in a in a in a more kind of creative nonfiction kind of way? The main reason that I chose to do it as fiction is because my background is fiction. My background is in screenwriting and I've been learning how to write fiction for uh, forever, basically. I feel like my entire <laughs> life. And so for me, it was never really a question of whether it would be fiction or nonfiction because I didn't feel like I could fact check enough things and I didn't feel like I would be able to source and reference enough things for it to be properly factual. And so because I knew that there would be gaps and there would just be some things that I would never be able to find the truth for, I knew that that would be the case because there had been stories that my grandparents hadn't been open about and wouldn't talk about. So I knew that there would be gaps that I would need to kind of bridge over. And so fiction gave me that leeway. But I also feel like fiction has an incredible ability to put a reader in the mind of character that they may not necessarily have a connection to otherwise. And so it just opens up empathy and connection in on a really deep level that not a lot of um, particularly nonfiction, not so much creative nonfiction or uh, um, or like memoir or biography, I feel like they also have an ability to touch, but I just didn't feel like I had enough truth at my disposal. Even though I had a lot of truth, I didn't have enough of the big truth to kind of to, to bridge it. And so, but that being said, a lot of the book is, as truthful as I could make it because I have some very scary aunts and uncles who would have been very upset if I got it wrong. So <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you have a background as a screenwriter. When did you, at what point in your life or, you know, maybe when you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to write? I feel like I've always wanted to write. I have memories of being like eight or nine years old and, and writing stories in the lounge room floor. I think mum's still got exercise books of short stories that I never finished when I was in like grade six or something and um, yeah I, I've always been a huge reader always loved books and stories and and all of that that kind of the magic of that and so I've always been attracted to it and it's just one of those things that I, I always come back to writing no matter what else I've I've kind of done in the past and so yeah I, I think it was just for me it was it was always going to be the case and whether it was books, whether it was screenplays, whether it was whatever, I don't know. I consider myself to be a writer. So the format doesn't bother me so much. It's more about the story. Mm. So you've written for things like Jack Irish, Secret Bridesmaids Business, Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries, uh, Ride Like a Girl, Shantaram, fantastic. Um, how did you, can you tell us how you got into that industry and what was your first break? I started in, well, really, I guess the, the turning point for me was I got into uh, university to do a film and television course instead of a creative writing course. So if I'd got into creative writing, who knows where we'd be now. But um, And that really sparked uh, a lot of interest for me. I mean, even stepping further back, I think I read a book by Paul Jennings where he talked about the production of Round the Twist, the children's TV series, which is one of my favourite shows. And I think that also sparked something, an interest in, in telling stories on the screen. And so through uni, I got a few opportunities to work in different uh, corporate worlds. And then I went to uh, the UK for a few years and I worked in documentary there. And then when I came back, a lot of the people that I knew uh, who had been starting their career had managed to get a foothold in the industry. And through them, I managed to get a job as a runner. Like I started at the very lowest rung of the ladder. 
and then just work my way up into the script departments because that's you know I knew that that's where I wanted to end up and people are great when you're in those kind of lower level roles they're like where do you actually want to go <laughs> I'm like <laughs> the script department and I had enough people who could kind of help me navigate there and then um, my kind of my big break into this the screen or into the script departments really was um, Jack Irish season one was the first show that I worked on properly in the script department and uh, that came through basically a few recommendations and an email that um, was mistakenly sent to someone but turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise in the end. Right. Um, so then you could have written this, your grandmother's story, your grandparents' story um, for the small or big screen. Uh, why did you decide to write it as a novel? I actually did write it as a screenplay first. Mm -hmm. I started working on the screenplay uh, in around 2019 uh, and then had, I did a few drafts of it and was happy with it and then was shopping it around in 2020. And I'm um, not sure if you remember this, but 2020, there was, you know, this little thing called COVID. And <laughs> basically that meant that every single production company I was speaking to weren't taking on anything new because no one knew what was happening. And the screen industry is incredibly risk averse anyway. And so they really, really kind of tightened down on what they were, what they were developing, and so it was very difficult to get it anywhere because it's a big story. Like it's historical, it's period. There's a lot of destruction and special effects needed on top of different countries. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. So it's not an easy, you know, two characters in one room kind of film. <laughs> It's expensive, in other words, to, it's expensive. to produce. <laughs> it is expensive. But what I found was that a lot of producers were asking me if I had any ideas based on existing IP, which is basically, do I have anything based off a book? Um, like like and, Shantaram became the television yeah, series. Yeah, like Shantaram, like The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, like Boyce Wally's Universe, like all of those, you know, incredible stories. Um, but they, you know, they start life as a novel and then they get optioned by a company and then they get, get turned into the screen adaptation. And... It was a question that I was asked so often that I started thinking about it in terms of the logistics of, of Cherry Tree and what the what the reality was for this story. And it, I, I felt like I had two options, which was I could either spend 10 years trying to raise $20 million to make the film version, by which, case, which stage I'd probably need $30 million because of inflation, or I could write the screenplay into a novel, get the novel published, make it an instant bestseller because it's as easy as that, and then <laughs> get the novel optioned for the screen and do it that way. So uh, that's essentially what I did um, because I'd lost all of my my tally work, nothing was shooting, and so I had nothing else to do except have a minor breakdown. So I went and started writing the, the screenplay into a novel. So you actually took our pathway to novel writing. You started with creative writing stage one and then you did novel writing essentials and then you did the longer um, write your novel program and, and and you went through that pathway. When you did that was, was uh, at the start, was Cherry Tree always front and centre? Cherry Tree was always my focus. I The reason that I, I kind of went back to basics is because I'd been writing screenplays for so long I was worried I couldn't write prose and I hadn't written prose since I was like a teenager and so I really wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything so I thought I'll just go back to 
back to basics, just see where I'm at. And of course, there was a lot of stuff that was irrelevant because regardless of format, some things are uniform. So you've got character, you've got a character's journey, you've got structure, you've got plot. That's all the same regardless. And so then it became about the craft of prose more so than anything. And I found the easiest way to get my head around those things was to, yeah, step it through bit by bit, get a little bit deeper each time into the water. And then uh, when I kind of felt like I was ready, um, I wanted the framework. I know that sometimes I I tend to procrastinate without a deadline. And so to have the, uh, the Write Your Novel in Six Months course was really handy because it gave me a set deadline. It gave me set submission stages. And yeah, I already had... I think just under 20,000 words when I started. And then by the end of it, I had the whole the whole novel. Brilliant. And then your tutor at the Australian Writers' Centre actually tweeted how moved she was by your story and you retweeted it. And then what happened? So uh, I had an incredible tutor, Angela Slater, who um, was, yeah, amazing and very receptive and supportive throughout the entire process which was great especially when you kind of flounder and you don't really know what you're doing and so um for our final submission you submit your basically your final three chapters and so I submitted that and because I knew I was getting to the end of the novel but I didn't really know a lot about publishing I went on Twitter and did a big follow spree of like editors, publishers, authors, anyone that I could kind of access through Twitter to get an idea of the industry and the different opportunities and the different places you could go to kind of get access to people. And because I already had credits in screenwriting, a lot of people followed me back. And I've since learned that it's an incredibly friendly and welcoming industry, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And so when Angela tweeted about my piece, um, which I only saw as a fluke because obviously I followed her on Twitter, but I logged onto Twitter in the 30 seconds after she tweeted it, but she hadn't tagged me in it or anything. So there was a chance I would have never seen it. And so when I realized she was talking about my piece, I was like, oh, this is this is great. I'm going to retweet this. And then um, I'd forgotten that I had followed all of these people. And so then a few hours later, I get a, a direct message uh, on Twitter from Catherine Milnes, the head of fiction at HarperCollins, because I had followed her and she had followed me back and she'd seen my tweet and she basically slid into my DMs, the only unsolicited DM I've ever wanted in my entire life and said, your work in progress does sound very interesting. Would you like to have a chat? And so that was it basically. I absolutely love it. And it's since garnered so much media coverage and, you know, it's been so well received. Tell us about, um, uh, how you planned the story arc did you know where it was going to start where it was going to end from the outset did you plan and with your background in screenwriting did you do kind of like a scene by scene um outline or how did that work my process for books and the screen is pretty similar I think my brain just works in one particular way and for me the thing that helps me the most is a five-act structure rather than a three Uh, five-act structure my brain understands it much better and so um because there that's where the tv commercials are well kind (laughs) of yeah but but I think it's also it's like it's a little bit Shakespearean I guess and Mm -hmm. what I find helps me the most is with a three-act structure you have a short first act and a short third act and a really long second act and so with a with a five-act structure you actually split that second act into three and they can't then you kind of get equal size and yeah just the way that I work with a 
with a five-act structure, it just it helps for me to get my head around a story and to see the process of a character and how they move through the world. And, yeah, I, I always have that kind of five-act breakdown. And, yeah, most of the time it's scene by scene, but sometimes I'll feel into it and realise that I'm missing a scene and so I'll add something in and, and make sure that it's all kind of represented and, and there. But with the novel, I had the screenplay but what I didn't have in the, the screenplay was the book is from dual points of view. So it, it alternates most chapters. And so adding in Nabucco's point of view, there were quite a few scenes that I was kind of missing. And so I had to do some extra research to really drill down into her side of the story. But I always knew that it would start on Gordon's 18th birthday because he enlisted. And I thought that was such a great starting point for a boy who just believes everything that he's been told and he's so eager to do his civic duty that he literally signs up on his 18th birthday as soon as he's able and then all of those expectations get flipped on their head and I also knew that I wanted to introduce Gordon at home because his family becomes so important that I didn't want to be introducing you know seven new characters in the middle of the novel and so I knew I had to have at least one chapter at home before all of that kind of kicked off. Um, and, and yeah, I always kind of knew where it would end, that it would end with um, this, the short aftermath of the arrival of uh, Cherry and, and the girls into Australia. Sorry, spoilers, but, you know, I feel like most people have kind of it's, figured out how the story right, ends. Yeah. Right um, but, um, yeah, the one thing that I was always that wasn't planned from the beginning that I'm really grateful that I was able to put into the book was the small story in the epilogue where um, Cherry helps a, a fellow war bride who's been abandoned at Melbourne airport. And I love that story a lot. And it's actually based on an article that I found. So it actually did happen to, to a woman and the Parkers did come to her aid. And I just felt like there was kind of something missing in that in the opportunity of seeing who the woman Cherry would become in Australia. And so I'm really grateful that, uh, yeah, we had some chats with Catherine and I had some chats about how best to kind of properly end the book. And um, and so, yeah, we, I got an opportunity to play with that epilogue. And then the afterward, I feel like the afterward kind of comes from watching a lot of films based on true stories when you get the, and then this happened with this person and then this person went on to, cure cancer and do whatever and I actually found there is a narrative nonfiction um, version of the story that was published in the 60s although it's presented as nonfiction. but if you ask my family it's not as accurate as it could be <laughs> um, but I actually found a review of that book and one of the criticisms of that book was that it doesn't say what happened next and so I really wanted to give the audience a sense of that although to be fair my number one question that I get asked is am I writing a sequel <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it still wasn't enough which was going to be my next question <laughs> uh there's no plans for a sequel yet but it is honestly asked so often that uh we have our big family Christmas um we have it a few weeks before actual Christmas and so that's coming up soon so I might have to suss out some of my aunts and uncles and see how they would feel about me writing a sequel but I don't know I'm not sure it's we'll see how things go I, I suppose I've got some ideas for other things that I'd like to write in the interim so so you obviously had this story on your mind for a long time and you wrote it in various forms first for the screen and then you know very successfully um in this in the novelization so now that you've had a taste of both 
because it is, even though there are many things that overlap, it is a, a different process and it um, it requires a different energy almost and a, and, and a different way of thinking in, your, in the way it takes up space in your brain. So now that you've had a taste for both, what are your thoughts? What do you enjoy more and what do you think you'll do more of? I mean, I enjoy them both equally. I think they both have pros and cons that I both love and hate in equal measure. <laughs> uh, but I think in terms of what I would like to keep doing, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be greedy and keep doing both. Uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to whoever wants to buy the stories, I guess, or whoever's going to pay me for my next books or, you know, bring me on to their next TV show or get me to write their film, you know, whatever it is, you know, I work as a freelancer. That's the life of a freelancer. You go where the work is. And so if HarperCollins keep wanting, giving me contracts for more books, I'll keep writing books. But if they decide that that's not going to be the case, I'll probably keep writing more books and try and get them to a different publisher. But I, uh, I think, yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's not so much about one or the other. It's about the story and what best suits the story. I even had a, have had a few people say that it would make a great play, Cherry Tree. And so um, I'm kind of like, I can't think about another format right now. I've just, I've just flipped. I, I think I just need to stay in these two for a little while and then maybe we can branch out a bit more. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's about, because some stories aren't books. Some stories aren't books and some stories aren't screenplays either. Some stories are blog posts and some stories are, mm. you know, newspaper articles and some stories are, TikTok videos, you know, there's all different formats for your different stories. And I think if you can understand what your story needs and the best way to tell your story, that's going to serve you the, the best, regardless of what you want to write. It's what the story needs for it to be properly expressed. Mm. You already had a lot of experience as a screenwriter. And so you already knew a lot of the principles of writing. So what did the courses at the Australian Writers' Centre teach you then? I feel like the thing that I got the most out of from the courses at the Australian Writers' Centre was just the structure of it and being able to hold myself to deadlines because it's it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm going to set myself a deadline of here and then life happens and then you're tired that day and then, oh, you just, you got to do the washing up first and then, oh, actually the floors need vacuuming too and I'll just do that quickly first. Oh, okay, it's already three o'clock. I may as well just sit down and have a cup of tea and actually there's that book that I, and so you can just lose time. And so having that regular submission window, knowing that it was coming up, having more than enough time to prepare for it and so challenging myself in that way to stick to a deadline which you know I can I, I'm also very lucky in that I'm a very quick writer so I've never really missed a deadline I've never had to push a deadline um, because I can usually turn things around quite quickly but it was just that drilling in of this is prose and this is how prose works and it works differently to screen and you know for for screen you write a sentence and no one ever sees it but in a book everyone sees every sentence you write so you've got to make sure that you're conveying things well and conveying things with emotion or with color or with movement or with you know subtext and all of those different things that you need in a book because that's how you connect with your readers it's a very different kind of thing than writing for screen and you know screen as well is half as many pages if not even less than a book like the the screenplay version of Cherry Tree is like about 110 pages long and the book is 335, I think. So 
um, having something that allowed me to generate a lot of material, which I then obviously went and edited with um, HarperCollins during that editing process. But it was good to have that framework that I could just kind of hang myself on and, and let me get from one to the other to the other. Um, now that this is out in the world, and as you say, you're a freelancer, what are you working on at the moment? I have got a lot of projects that I'm juggling at the moment. Um, they're all in various stages of bits and pieces, but I'm working on another book for HarperCollins, which I'm still not sure if I can say anything about, but there is a second book coming, um, but it is not a sequel. Sorry to, to break it. So it's part. a completely different book. Completely different book. Another piece of historical fiction still set in that kind of post-war period in Australia, but yeah, it's a completely different book. Um, I'm also working on a few screenplay uh, ideas. Um, so yeah, there's a few things that I'm working on with various people there. Um, and then I have annoyingly started having ideas for what a book three might look like, um, which is frustrating because I don't want to think about it yet, but it's knocking, <laughs> on my, knocking on my brain and wanting to be heard. So I'm forced to take notes and dig into it a little bit and yeah, probably start drafting something next year I think early next that's year that's great can't wait to hear about the next two <laughs> books goodness okay so let's end with if you were if I mean there are people who are aspiring writers who are listening to this and they would love to be in a position where you are one day you know already thinking about their third book what would your top three tips be for them my first tip is keep writing I think as you write, you learn so much and, and keep, get to the end as well. Like don't edit as you go. Editing as you go will always hamstring you. If you get to the end, then you can fix the beginning because you know how it ends and you know what you need to set up. So I think just keep writing. And even if you're writing for yourself, you don't have to write with the aim of publication. Like I actually think writing for yourself is, is far more rewarding than writing for publication in a way because you're not writing to prove anything whereas I desperately need to prove things to myself and to whoever else but um, I think there's something really incredible about people who just write because they want to write things and you know I wish that my family wrote more things so it would make things a lot easier for me. Uh, I also think reading a lot and and reading outside of the genre that you're writing in and the genres that you love um, because I think even reading like something that is horror and understanding how dread and tension work in horror, I think that really helped me with various parts of Cherry Tree as well. Um, you know, there are some pretty intense chapters in Cherry Tree and some pretty intense moments and using suspense and dread and, and those different things that you wouldn't typically get in a historical romance, I think helped to heighten the emotional journey for the, the readers in Cherry Tree. And I think my third piece of advice would be to back yourself, which is not to say be impatient, but to back yourself. So trust yourself, trust your voice. If the note doesn't feel right, don't, don't execute the note. But if you keep getting the same note back from different people, maybe then you should look at the note. But ultimately, it's your story. You know it the best. But don't rush it out either. Don't, don't send it out before it's ready. And it's probably not ready yet. I hate to break it to you. But, uh, yeah, I think trusting yourself and trusting your vision for your story is is paramount as well. All great advice. Brilliant. Everyone, get yourself a copy of At the Foot of the Cherry Tree by Ali Parker. Thank you so much for your time today, Ali. No worries. Thanks so much, Valerie. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Historical Fiction, is perfect for anyone writing a novel or family history that's set in the past, giving you the tools to use research, facts and historical events to make your story come to life. When you're writing historical fiction, authenticity is everything. Just as each accurate detail can help immerse your reader in that time and place, a wrong step can quickly take them out again. In this course, you'll gain amazing insights, guidance and resources to help you research and craft a book that readers will love. And you'll discover how to avoid the common mistakes that many new authors of historical fiction make. The lessons will shine a flashlight on the past, helping you to effectively research previous eras so you can weave compelling characters and details into your story. It's a valuable addition to your author toolkit. And because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash historical. That's writerscentercomau slash historical. Before I leave you, I have a fun fact for you. The word dubious is related to the word duo as in two. So essentially, the original meaning of dubious implies two alternatives or to hesitate between two opinions or courses. There you go. Dubious. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you spending time and hanging out with me um, on the podcast this week. And I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ali Parker. Such an inspiration to hear um, people like Ali go from strength to strength. Do connect with me on socials. You can find me at Valerie Koo on Instagram, but I'm also in the Facebook group uh, with the listener community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community um, on Facebook and request to join. It's free to join. Love to have you in there. All sorts of different writers from all walks of life. Um, And it's great to see the chat that's happening in there. And also for those of you who don't know, I live a double life as an artist. Yes, um, you can find out what's happening in that part of my life over at ValerieKoo.com. Now, this is my last episode for you before Christmas Day. Uh, So for those of you who are taking time off over the holiday period, um, have a wonderful holiday period. I hope you have some time to relax and do some of the things that you've always wanted to do but haven't had the time. But I will be back next week. Thanks, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.